0: One-sided side wasn't the right side for me. Just cause I've done something for you doesn't mean you've got anything for me. And falling through the cracks with no safety net at all. Makes the cheap seats even cheaper and a sure sharper Did any of it mean? Who was gonna save me? I think we've overlooked something in this room. Roof is guaranteed You have nothing left But no fear of anything Never cold and never hungry Just stay huddle close to me I'm the psalm of every little thing you need You poor and huddled mass it's yearning to be me You have nothing left to fear But fear itself and me What did any of it mean? Who was gonna save me now? We overlook something in this room Fool me wants to blame the student Fool me tries to blame the teacher Fool me tries to blame the master maybe Maybe start looking back Maybe start looking back Maybe start looking back Baby, stop looking back Sir the the same It's been known to shift its stance and ask askance if you know who thought Everything else here would change It's been known to toe the line and place its weight upon the scales It's been known to slowly shift around It's been known to tell a joke and pull the strings and call the shots and everybody knows it really gets around. did any of this mean? Who was gonna save me now? I think we've overlooked something in this room. I think we missed something in this room. Fool me wants to blame the student. Fool me tries to blame the teacher. Fool me tries to blame the master. Maybe stop looking back. Baby, stop looking back Baby, stop looking back Baby, stop looking back
1: Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me and Double Wow. That was Rob Hinkle with his partner doing background vocals, singing Elephant Joke. And what a great song. What a great musical presentation. And Rob Hinkle is someone who I am humbled by his musical and artistic virtuosity. And he happens to be on the phone with me right now. Hi, Rob.
2: That's a wonderful intro. And man, I'm going to say it. I still love that song. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here being like, oh, yeah, I haven't listened to this recording in a little while. And and it's funny because that song has certainly evolved um, just over time. And also with the inclusion of our sixth band member at this point. But, uh, but
0: well, man,
2: it's just it's a fun song to to be reminded like this is where it came from and this this is how it started.
1: Well, now that's one of your originals I'm assuming.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Now, you have a, a rather different take on lyrics and performing on the guitar. The and you and I were speaking before I hit the record button about how those of us who are quote singer-songwriters and it could be anything from the 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 passionate open mic performer to the singer-songwriter who doesn't necessarily gig, but they go to showcases and they do three songs or five songs. There's so many of us who sound very similar. Uh, we all try to mimic our heroes and so forth. But you and your your partner Heather have always risen above that to be your own performer. And you you're kind of like the Star Wars character of music, if that makes any sense.
2: <laughs> I'm so curious as to what you mean by that.
1: (laughs) Well, and I, and I didn't mean it to come out um, because of what I'm going to play next, but I want people to hear on stage live. I mean, you're wonderful recorded and these are all live recordings. I think we're playing today. The um, you're so wonderful on stage banter wise and song introducing wise to me. You're entertainers. Not only are you a terrific performer, musician, but you are an entertainer, and and so is is your partner, Heather. But I want people to hear what I mean by that, and this just happens to bring Star Wars into it. So, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this.
3: Halloween is Heather's birthday. The very, 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 very first Halloween I can remember. I had won first place in the science fair with, with some, something to do with balloons and distance and a, a rail and thread all throughout my parents' basement. They were very excited. I was very excited. I had a medal. I was the geeky enough child uh, to have worn that medal to first grade and get beaten up. Um, but they did not take the medal, and that's the important part. One of the side effects of having won first prize at the Science Fair project was that I got to... I got to lead the Halloween parade. I got to lead it because it was my birthday. Yeah, whatever. So, for me, it was special. Not only did I have a gold medal from being first prize in the science fair, but I also had a C-3PO costume that year. It was the full ensemble, as they say. I was very excited to do this, but kind of terrified. It was my first experience with being in front of lots of people. And so they put me up at the beginning of the entire parade and they, they marched me off and Robbie Hinkle started marching around dun, 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 dun. wrong side I was with the rebellion, my friend anyways, so I'm, I'm marching around the parking lot and a pickup truck a blue beaten pickup truck comes down comes down the hill and it's got a coffin in the back And I'm not quite sure whether or not how I feel about this yet. Um, And then the truck rolls to a stop near where I'm beginning to march past. The coffin rises up, that little pneumatic device. Frankenstein's monster comes roaring from the grave. Arms spread. He just wanted a hug, but I didn't understand that at the time. I was absolutely freaking terrified, and I stopped the entire parade as I cringed in horror at Frankenstein's monster and never did live it down and had to change schools three years later. (laughs) That's my
1: introduction to Heather's song. Now, did anybody, when you were a kid, ever say, boy, that that Robbie Hinkle's a weird guy.
2: Uh, yeah, that was the way I spent my time, was running away from people who said, Robbie Hinkle, that guy, that guy's a weird guy. Um, that's Robbie with a Y, by the way, not an IE. Um, that was a horrible introduction to Heather's song, No Place is Home. And by horrible, I mean it was genius. <laughs> no Place is Home is, is Heather's beautiful song about uh, about Halloween, about her being born on a Halloween, and, and also about us chasing this dream all across the country. And and losing track of, of having a home. And, and so one of the things that I've always, you know, one of the things I've always loved about me, uh, or one of the things that I really enjoy about Iliami stage presence, and it is something that is sort of thought out is the songs themselves are often very angry or they're depressing. There, there are, there are some happy songs in there, but the majority of what we do is, is pretty, is pretty ferocious emotionally and so the idea that you know i don't want to keep my audience in that place i don't want to wallow i don't want to sit there with a bunch of depressed people playing tearjerkers the balance of telling these funny stories or having these bizarre wonderful weird very unscripted moments i love that moment when when sharif shifts you know his sharif is on piano there and he's playing the background. Uh, sounds there and he was, you know, shifting from different Star Wars themes, depending on what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's, it's just the back and forth between us as, uh, at that time, five and then now six, very tight friends in Iliami, uh, knowing one another's ins and outs and the buttons to press and how to respond to these things. It's just, it's important for me that the mood shifts back and forth, that we have these moments of joy contrasting these these very, Sad things that we sing about often. Um, yeah. Oh, that was a great show. That was at, uh, we recorded that live um, in September of. September of something, definitely. And uh, we were recording that live at a place in Tacoma Park called The Electric Maid. And oh, we yes. just had a, a ton of people packed into that spot because I wanted to do a special recording for our anniversary show. And it was one of the few places where I knew I could control every in and out of that space and no one was going to challenge what I wanted to do with sound and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just a, just a marvelous
1: day. Now, did, so you handled the live sound and the recording? Yes. Because the one thing that has amazed me and I've listened to these recordings, I listened to each one of the songs and it's a two disc uh, release, folks.
2: And when I say that I controlled the recording, another life, another live, the double disc set, another life is studio recorded um, and working with zzzz, asparagus media in Tacoma Park. So that's Steve Steckler recording that. Okay. Another live, another live was all live recordings that I put together that I recorded various at, uh, mostly at that anniversary show at Electric Maid and also at New Deal Cafe in Greenbelt, Maryland, which is where we recorded our most recent live album. I just I love live recording. It is one of my favorite ways to capture the truth of any music.
1: Yes, because it it fully encompasses the brilliance of the performer, as long as there is some, but also the little things that don't go go quite right
2: that mm, actually yeah. turn
1: out well but they would the happy
2: accidents and the beautiful mistakes absolutely
1: yeah because in a studio they would say stop we're going to start over again you you lose all that but i'm i'm curious do you have an engineering background i know you're, you you have an illustration background but did you de- ever study with someone on live you know live sound or studio sound or is it something you've just acquired
2: it is something i've acquired and I have tried to take some classes here and there. I mean, hell, I tried to take get classes on how to play guitar. But generally speaking, every time I take a class on how to do something, they tell me I'm wrong, and I'm very stubborn. Um, <laughs> but um, I've been wonderfully helped out by by great engineers. Uh, one of the when I choose a studio to work with, like Asparagus Media, one of the aspects of that is that Steve Steckler he teaches as he works through it. And so I picked up a lot of studio engineering. Um, I, I did some work with him getting to go into Asparagus and, and actually do recordings for others. Um, and then working with Charlie Pilzer at, at uh, Airshow Studios. I think it was called Airshow at the time now, at the Tunnel Park, who I think did the mastering on Another Life, Another Life. You know, insisting that they talk out loud while they're doing what they're doing, and I know I'm distracting, and I know I'm taking maybe half again as long as it should take because I want them to explain all the steps. Um, But it's it's you know picking the minds of the people that are around you. Uh, Artem Bank was someone who grew out of our open mic scene up here in Baltimore and now is uh, then went to school for engineering and now is teaching audio engineering um, at various colleges in the Baltimore area. Uh, but turning that around and like springboarding him into the music scene and then him turning around and saying, okay, this is what I learned. I know so much about how you do what you do. I bet you'd find this useful. This is something you've been doing. Oh my God, wrong. And actually you really ought to learn it the right way. And this is something where I'm so glad you taught me a different way of doing it because this, the book way of doing it is wrong. You know, this synergy of the people that I've worked with over t- geez, 20 years of doing this um, has really given me, I think, a freaking amazing bed of knowledge of how to do this live and how to do this in the studio, in the basement studio, as the case may be. Um, well,
1: and you approach, at least I assume you approach, you mentioned it because uh, when you're talking about taking lessons with a guitar and so forth and people just tell you you're playing it wrong, The you mentioned one of the lines in in that song was, I think it's jump off the edge or jump off the cliff or something like that. And I'm a firm believer in in jump and the net will appear. And musically, you because I was watching a video of you and I think Rowan.
2: Although it might have (laughs) been
1: might have been the two of you or or I I can't remember who was on stage with you, but it starts off with you playing your very unique guitar style and you're playing in that kind of pyrotechnic quick way and all of a sudden you go, boom, and you go, ooh, that was the wrong note. And then jump right back in. And most (laughs) people would have said, oh, stop the tape, stop the tape. Let's start that over. The beauty of what you did is you allowed it to be part of the performance to be recorded and put out on YouTube for the whole world to see. Because so many people are so worried about not being good or making mistakes, and yet brilliant things can come out of mistakes
2: for better or for worse yeah i i worry that our current world and um influencer culture and the sheer amount of material that's out there now uh that there's less there's less room in the universe for antics like mine or for a less polished approach which is what i think i will always be i'm a child of grunge which is a child of do punk rock but do it dirtier and nastier And, and it's not polished and it's very emotive and it's guttural. And it's, it is absolutely, if you screw it up, you work the canvas in a different way, or you, you get it the next time around the riff or something like that. Um, it's a painterly approach. I I think of myself as a painterly guitarist, and as that of an extension of what I was doing as a visual artist. Um, and you go back and you work the canvas again. You don't throw out the canvas. And and in the case of live performance, every performance is a canvas. Um, and you just layer. And I, I love that about live performance.
1: So, would you do you kind of equate your artistic, illustrative, side and your music side of being more abstract?
2: No, um, it's physical and i don't think i understood that about myself as a drawer first <laughs> and then a painter and then a sculptor and a photographer and all these things that i worked my way through as as my as my mode of expression before i found guitar and i think they were all this very it's a continuum going from when i very much much was a very controlled um, figurative pencil Drawing artists to charcoal and then working a little quicker, but grinding the paint, working with, uh, I, I prefer acrylics over oils, um, because it's a more, uh, visceral for me feeling and then finding, okay, well actually doing installations and nailing things and, and two by fours and glass, this is more, um, encompassing and you put your you put your subject in the middle of this space and then realizing that storytelling and music was even more immediate and there's eye contact but there's still this physical medium of your fingers on the strings and and the back and forth between this this crazy thing where i'm like i'm paid to stand there with a piece of carbon fiber in my case but you know wood and string and vibrate them at people that's just nuts (laughs) but the physicality the physicality of pushing my own feelings and emotions and things through this medium, in this case, no longer a paintbrush or not as often a paintbrush and not as often, um, you know, whatever medium I was sculpting and stone or wood or whatever. And now it's a guitar. It's, a, it's just, um, it's not abstract at all. It's very figurative. It's very concrete. It's very, um, it's very linear.
1: So has it been difficult for you during this pandemic, it's more than a year now, because you seem to relish that live performance?
2: I relish live, I relish interaction. I don't know, it took me a little while to figure it out, but I don't know that I'm feeling less interactive now than I was with a live physical audience. And I can double down on that feeling now that in the last week or so, we've done a lot of live performances outdoors in Ellicott City, outdoors at the Refuge in um, uh, here in Maryland, outside of Frederick, Maryland. Um, I love feeling the response of an audience, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not one way. And when you are standing on a stage and people are applauding, they're acknowledging you, but it's not it's not communication per se. You can see them dance. You can see them respond. You can see them cry. You can see them mouth the words, but that is me outputting to them. What I found fascinating with the online thing is people are saying things back to you in a way that would be utterly, utterly like a crappy bar gig in in real in the real world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the comments and the chats and the emojis and things like that, people are talking back and forth, but they're not they're not talking over the music at that point. They're communicating back and forth. And because it's not because it's not necessarily having to happen in real time. Like it can go back and look at these comments or chats later, that communication becomes two-way in a way that a lot of other live performance interactivity isn't. So in certain ways I felt that there have been connections made with audiences during this time of COVID that I, that are maybe even more intimate um, than than are done on the stage. Um, it's certainly less, like I said, it's a little more two way. It's a little less just look at me and shut up and clap when you know the time is right. It's a lot more back and forth. And if anything, I think that is maybe more the type of communication that I've always sought. Um, And it's a little less self. (laughs) uh, 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 What's the right word? It's a little less just look at me and love me. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a lot more. Look at me. Let's talk. And that's interesting.
1: So how did you begin your musical life? Way back when, uh, I mean, well, <laughs> the, the,
2: oh,
1: the artistic I, side came first, right?
2: Yeah, I was a visual artist first, yeah.
1: So explain every, to everyone how, how that transpired and then how you morphed into a musical uh, performer or your musical life out of the, the illustrative slash artistic
2: I always drew, I always grew up drawing Um, and in PG County in Maryland, I was very fortunate in that uh, I hit the very beginning, maybe the second or third year, I think of the visual performing arts magnets and the various magnet programs, busing people around and integrating um, integrating, uh, ethnicities in PG County, which I think has really shaped a lot of how I view the world and a lot of how important I feel it is to to bring audiences together and differing audiences. Um, So I was very fortunate in that I was drawing and here's this opportunity for people who draw. And so you you submit a portfolio and you go to this visual performing arts school, which is really an excuse for getting suburban white kids into primarily black schools. And it's a very different, it's very culturally different in a lot of different ways. And then this mixer. Of the art students and the and the music students and the drama students and the students who were there already who then get to benefit from these programs and things like that. and it's just a, an amazing amazing cultural mix. And so, even though I'd gone there for painting, a lot of my friends were musicians. Um, and so I was sort of exposed to it. Instruments were lying around. I picked up bass first and Really fell in love with bass, and I think that the bass guitar, slap bass, strumming on the bass, Primus was big at the time. Primus was definitely an influence on my guitar playing, um, and so I picked up the pick up the bass first, and then it wasn't until college I met someone who had a guitar lying around, and I, I trans- translated what I was doing on bass over to guitar. Uh, but it was it was just sort of the synergy of an arts community there was a different tool lying around and, oh, let me try that. Um, and uh, yeah, I sort of melded into bass guitar first and then discovered guitar in my junior year of college, I guess. Uh, if you know Rick and Audrey Dahl or Sense of Wonder, uh, which you probably don't, but the, the D.C. area, Audrey was the woman in, in college who was the guitar girl, the long, lanky. Long-haired, beautiful finger-picking woman who I was just absolutely smitten with, and I played her guitar some, and she taught me a couple chords, and and went from there.
1: Now, is she the? Wasn't there an Audrey Morris? Who was one mm-hmm.
2: of them? Yeah, yep, that was her. Oh, okay. Pre, pre-married name, yeah. Audrey Engel.
1: Because it's, she was one of your original duo partners, I think, wasn't uh-huh. she?
2: I think from, from very from the very, very beginning, I was never quite as comfortable with my voice. <laughs> I don't think I grew into my voice until maybe the last two years, frankly. <laughs> and and now I like I'm like, oh yeah, this guy can sing. This is all right on a good day. But certainly in the beginning I was much more enamored with my voice coupled with someone else's. That male female synergy is is something that's been with Iliami or with my own music with my music from the very, very beginning in the late nineties. And so Audrey Engdahl Morris at the time was my songwriting partner, musical partner up until 2001 or 2002, I think I met Heather. Um, But I was, uh, touring had always been part of what I wanted to do with music. Audrey was ready to settle down. I knew that I needed to find another partner if I was going to go on the road the way I had dreamed. And so there was sort of this long process of auditioning people and finding, finding, founding, found, found Heather Aubrey Lloyd in a freaking University of Maryland coffeehouse open mic (laughs) in 2001 or so. And, um, and transferred my female co-partner vocal entity over to her and holy crap, what a, what an amazing turn of fate
1: that was. Well, the two of you, um, I'm just reading or looking over your website, and it's it's Ilyamy.com. And Ilyamy, for those of you folks who are not familiar with it, it's dot com. And what is interesting, and I, I'm assuming that, Rob, you did all the website generation, is that correct? For
2: better or for worse, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's, <laughs> well, no, I, I think it's terrific. The Thank you. But the when you go to the about us, which is the first thing on the menu, um, it's Ellie Amy, Rob Hinkle, Heather Aubrey Lloyd, Christian Jones, Slash Cello, Rowan Corbett, Sharif Kellogg, and then Joey Jenkins, which each person has their own little title, which is wonderful because so often the when you have a group, whether it's a duo or five people or six people or ten for that matter, there's only one thing and you click on it and they have a couple of paragraphs and people are into mix, but you've gone the extra step and given everyone kind of a highlight, which is really, really nice. But in your, on your page, it says, um, I've lost where I was here. It, when you and Heather got together, you basically, well, you, you tell people what happened um, going out on the road. What'd you have to do to prepare to go out on the road?
2: Wow. Uh, so, well, we left on September 2nd, 2003. <laughs> and so September, or, or in 2001, I began planning. And part of that was finding the right partner. Part of that was figuring out how do you put a sound system in a car? What kind of sound system do you travel with? How do you print CDs on the road? Because I, again, live recording, I sort of imagined we'd be doing that Pearl Jam thing where you're releasing regular live discs. Or maybe printing on the on you know printing on demand didn't work didn't exist yet so we were packing a printer and packing a scanner and doing all these different things and so I spent a lot of time sort of researching what what gear was going to work with that it was a vastly different time technologically which is nuts. Realizing that the best mileage was the our Saturns that were like forty plus miles per gallon, and that would change our math dramatically and how we could survive. So that meant that Heather was going to have to drive stick. So teach Heather to drive stick, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, and uh, now she's never going back, which is wonderful. Iliami drives stick, um, but so two years of preparation. And just thinking it through and making contacts with old friends who had scattered across the country and saying, hey, I don't suppose you'd be willing to put us up on the couch for about a week while we come and initially play open mics, but then the second round and third rounds and fourth rounds and tenth rounds, going around and playing gigs all across the country with connections we made in our first runs, always expanding this circle, Um I, I, I trouble my, my, my conscience my conscience is somewhat troubled sometimes when I meet other performers and and they talk about how they were inspired by us to just go out and do it. And earlier in the conversation we we're talking about jumping off the cliff but you look, you really do look before you leap, especially when your responsibility is not just yourself but your partner and figuring out you know how are we not gonna star while doing this And so I feel guilty because I know other performers you saw. Robin and Heather went and just did it, right? And, and you know, they, they don't think it through and end up running out of money someplace in Utah and they can't, they can't make it home or something like that. And we've had a number of, of friends and and fans who have maybe not thought it through as much. Um, so but, you, do, oh,
1: sorry. you don't strike me as a planner. In, well, see, I only see you from the musical side on stage or listening to, you know, a disc. So but that is all important for someone who wants longevity in Mm -hmm. the the music business is what did someone tell me one time? I said, you know, you must really love this music business. And they said, well, yes I do, but I spend 95% of my time on the phone, the computer and so forth. And only, you know, one or 2% on actual music creation because of the, all the planning you have to do and everything. So yeah,
2: I hate planning. I love process. Um, so I, I must admit there have been a bunch of half-assed things, you know, and, and I say two years of planning. Well, that was the initial thing, but maybe that was the last time I spent a good amount of time planning <laughs> in my life, you know, 20 years ago. Um, but so, I do love, process. I love the execution of things. I love step to step to step to step.
1: Now, are you a taskmaster?
2: try you know what it's (laughs) like hurting musicians come on
1: now no one wants to do (laughs) it well that that's that's one thing that is really um i respect you for because i did tommy 1m wright and myself uh, did the open mic at the frederick coffee company he once beans in the belfry opens back up for music he'll probably go back and start doing his um once a month open mic there but it is the, the trite expression of hurting cats. That's exactly it. And so many people say, oh, yeah, let's do a new open mic. And they'd all look at you or me or Tommy. They don't, they mm-hmm. don't say, oh, I'll do it. Because they want to perform. They don't want to do all the work. They don't want to carry yeah, exactly. the equipment. They don't want to ch- talk to the venue owners and make sure that. I
2: have, I have a lot of people talking to me right now. When are you going back to live, live open mics? And I've been running my Monday night virtual open mic quite successfully for over a year now which is crazy every time I think about it. But I don't know when I go back to a physical open mic setting. And it's not just the work involved, because there's plenty of work that goes into a virtual open mic, because I'm dealing with a dozen to 18 people every week, half of which have never done this before. Mm -hmm. That's becoming less and less over the course of time, but getting them up and running, you wanna make sure it sounds like a good show. You wanna make sure that people don't embarrass themselves with technology. So there's a lot of footwork and a lot of planning and a lot of prep and a lot of, well, why don't you try turning the microphone from the other way around and then back away from the microphone so you're not overdriving it and have you installed the latest driver? There's so much work. Would I rather be carrying some speakers into a place? I think I would. (laughs) But but, uh, my physical venues are not coming back. So I've, I've got to go hunting for venues if I want to continue a, a physical open mic. And I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that, well, Beans and Belfry has a lot of space to physically a great, a great venue. Uh, most of the places that are doing open mics are going to be kind of tight in there. Uh, and I think I've had some of my trust of my fellow humans rather undermined in the last year. So I'm I'm very back and forth as to when the next time I'm interested in sharing, sharing that responsibility for others and sharing that, uh, you know, my gear with others in that way, open mic hosting can be a very intimate thing. Yes. And, and I just don't, yeah, I, I'm worried that I've lost a lot of trust of people.
1: So what do you see post pandemic for you, for Illy Amy?
2: I am eager to get back on the road. I am eager to. I've enjoyed the streaming thing, and my partner Rowan Corbett and I have done a lot of like sort of you know really figuring things out, really fine tuning sound, and so I've worked with a lot of people uh, doing other programming that focused music, Institute of Musical Traditions, John Platt on your radar up in New York, um, at record labels literally all across the world have been, you know, calling me and saying, make sure my artist sounds okay. <laughs> Do it. Wow. Which is amazing. And I love it. And it's it's kind of an interesting thing.
1: Now,
3: how and did I they...
2: miss my performance, but I also feel like this streaming aspect could replace the bread and butter bar gigs that I was having to play before. Right. Um, many of which aren't coming back anyways. Or, you know, I'm literally getting calls from bars saying, Hey, we used to have you regularly and it would be great to have you back. But I hope you understand we're filling our calendar without having to pay the artists. So we'll just put out a tip bucket. Is that cool? No, it's not cool. Yeah. I'm back to that. Um, And the streaming gives us a little bit of both performance and financial security that I think may hopefully eliminate that aspect of my career forever. Um, and so I want to get back on the road, but the idea that I'd have to pick up a crap bar gig to make sure I'm making gas money uh, in between the <laughs> high ticket but low payout folk venues um, is, is hopefully replaced by any place we go, whether it's a campground or whatever, as long as I've got a strong enough Wi-Fi connection. We play from wherever we land, and sure. that's beautiful. That's beautiful.
1: So these uh, companies that are from all over the world who are contacting you, how did they find you?
2: Uh, most of them have been connections of connections. The connection of John Platt was huge, and so the artists that he's regularly doing through his reimagined. It was a radio show, uh, WFUV, I think, out of blah, out of. Uh, I should shut up because actually I'm not remembering <laughs> <even> <laughs> properly. <laughs> but John Flatt's On Your Radar radio program has had us there, and they used to broadcast live from a venue and um, in New York there, in Brooklyn, I think. And um, what a cool thing. Translating that to an online show, he's relatively high profile, and he's inviting artists from all over the world. No longer do they have to tour to New York to be part of the show. They're coming from all over the country, all over the world. And then their label says, oh, well, how did you work out the sound for that? Oh, Rob Hinkle. Okay, cool. Um, And so then I get contacted for, well, we were supposed to have a CD release with a big release party, and everyone was going to come together, and they're coming in from Australia, and they're playing from Japan, and blah, 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 blah. Well, now we can't do that. How do we make Zoom sound good? Well, there's this guy I worked with, Rob Hinkle, blah, blah, blah. And... And especially through running showcases for another a number of these things that got that got me connected with a lot of other artists that trusted me and then their management would trust me, etc. Now, I am worried that a lot of that is going away because everyone's finding their way, finding their person. And frankly, most people are just excited to go back to the way things were, which I don't think is really 100 percent a thing. Um, so that business is is slowing down a little bit, but. I mean that's frankly kind of nice because there were periods of time when I was booking myself to the hour for for days on end until i <laughs> I realized I was being stupid somewhere around September and needed to take a break um,
1: well, it's interesting uh, that you've you've become a musical consultant among other things that's that's an interesting kind of twist. most people would never imagine that
2: no. I love I love the technical aspects of it. I love figuring it out. And one of the aspects of having been a DIY artist for a lot of time for all this time is I'm not always working with someone who can go out and purchase an eight hundred dollars DSLR to make sure their stream looks good. I've got to work with what they've got. There are very few aspects where I can say to the label, "Oh, well, are you going to provide them a thousand bucks on top of my own fee? No, Okay. Uh, because the labels don't want to put out money like that. And the artists are often thinking this is a temporary thing. They don't want to put additional money into it. Um, and so this this found object DIY aspect of figuring out how do you wire a phone to a computer? How do you make sure that functions? Is your Wi-Fi better in another place because you've got one of the new Macs that doesn't have an Ethernet cable? How do you make this all function Um Oh, you have a crappy camera. Well, do you have a desk lamp? Because that's the cheap fix, you know. And and walking people through how do you make your PA system that you used to carry around to all the venues? How do you make that talk to your computer? How do you make that sound translate through the ninety six kbs kbps of of old Zoom or one twenty eight kbps of Facebook Live or one ninety two of new Zoom? You know. Um, all these technical aspects of making these things work is very, very interesting. It's 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 a fascinating thing.
1: And you've learned pretty much all of this mainly on your own, with the occasional help from somebody that you're questioning while you're working with them. I'm assuming.
2: Well, with this stuff, with the streaming side of things, there's no one to ask.
1: So you're the guy. No one. No.
2: Yeah, no one has done this before, and that's incredible. None of this was designed to do this. We are now into a year plus, and people are designing products for it. Like you were talking about your Roadcaster, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people have in the last year come out with products that are more specific to this. But even the USB mixers that are that were you know impossible to get a couple months ago because everyone was buying them were designed for a time when someone wanted to record with their computer, but no one had thought about the throughput of getting from specific types of applications back into the US. So so the routing was funky. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, And Behringer hadn't thought it through, but Mackie had. And, you know, how do you deal with, or the, the old Scarlet, the generation two, how they routed and, and don't route effectively for going back and forth in a zoom call or something like that. Um, Or hell, just the (laughs) zoom and zoom are not the same thing, you know? Uh, Zoom the telecommunications company versus Zoom the audio right gear company, and uh, but there, there isn't anyone to ask. There's there's talking to the programmers. There's talking to the people at Zoom who are writing the software. Both ends there are there is getting to Streamyard and saying, hey, why doesn't this function with this kind of driver? You've got to drill into it and. And, and it's just amazing forcing <laughs> downloading a a firmware hack for your old canon 5d because it was never designed to talk to a computer in real time um, and you can hack it but just make sure it doesn't get too hot you know stuff like that it's just <laughs> well a, a boring conversation maybe but
1: well, no, Clearly, it's, it's not boring. You want to talk about being
2: a Star Wars character. This is hot wiring <laughs> the freaking Millennium Falcon. This is awesome. I press all the buttons. It's going to light speed and then a conking out in the middle and figuring out why, you know? <laughs> well,
1: you must have been an erector set type of a guy when you were a kid.
2: Yeah, Legos, erector, erector sets, tinker toys. Absolutely. My dad was a, was an optical physicist uh, for NASA, and so the engineering probably comes honestly <laughs> to me, but it certainly was not a part of my life through art school or, I don't know. I don't know. I'm grateful. These skills seem to be fun. It's not fun for a lot of people.
1: Well, just jumping over to the, the art side for a moment, the illustrations on the, let's see, let me go back up to the top here for the, the merch and it's the CDs and, and stuff like that. Did you do all the artwork for the CDs?
2: For all the Iliami CDs, yes. Those yes. are paintings and etchings and uh, and that is my my illustration work and even the work on Heather's CDs is not mine but Message in the Mess The Portrait of Heather uh, yes. with paint splatter. Well, I splattered the paint. <laughs> <laughs> And the uh, the yep. illustration, the cut paper illustration done on the album cover, is our old friend Will Schaff, who was Iliami Iliami is my band. I love you and I miss you. I L Y A I M Y. However, I love you and I miss you was a collective of four musicians who were friends in college. Myself, Will Schaff, Karen Wagner, and Sonny Roley. And Will Schaff was really it was really his brainchild. When we went our separate ways after School, I thought I figured i was one fourth of the band, I could keep one fourth of the letters. I L Y A I M Y L E A Bam. That's where it came from comes from. But Will Shaft is the person who did the cut paper illustration on the cover of Messaging the Mess. So it's it's all incestuous even when it's not me.
1: So but, so uh, you, uh, you did the um I'm not sure if it's a fly or a bee on Chicada. Oh, it's a Chicada.
2: Yeah. That's a cicada. Come on now, man.
1: Yeah, I'm looking right <laughs> at Chicada and it's th- <laughs> It's the year of the 17 of uh, Chihates. I should have just went bonk. So that looks like a woodcut or linoleum cut.
2: That is my first experience experiment with digital painting. Is it? That is yeah, that, so that is hand drawn on a uh, a surface uh, a, a Microsoft Surface Pro. And what a wonderfully almost visceral painting experience it's really really quite cool but i definitely didn't have the fine detail that i was able to get with actual handwork um i've come a long way since then that's 2017.
1: yes 2017.
2: Um, and uh but i really enjoyed the process of like painting uh my friend amy who lives down the street from here is also an illustrator uh, has a collection of cicadas and i went over and drew a bunch of them and that's that's the beastie that came out I had a had a good time creating that but it's a, it's a very different very different style very different thing from the previous covers
1: so do you spend time now or do you have time to do any of your art
2: not as much as i'd like the visual art of most things now tends to be part of the culmination the full visualization of an album Mm -hmm. and so i tend to cycle up my painting and my drawing when we're coming up to a release of something Uh, there was a painting done for life the new deal at the end of last year and so it's a very slow process which is something that i regret and i've been meaning to get back to but i i don't yeah i don't have the time i don't have the gumption
1: well if you had the time what's your favorite medium
2: i really like the scratch knives um, and etching in the surfaces. I like uh, acrylic paint and acrylic inks.
1: Now, do you do you prefer acrylic paints over oils because of the, the quickness in drying? Because oils yeah. take days.
2: They can, yeah. Um, yeah, I just was never into oil paints. I didn't like the additional layer. For all that I like process, I like quick process. Mm-hmm. I like going one, two, three. I don't like going one, now wait. Now do two. Now wait. So for me, acrylic with the speed and vibrancy that it 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 dries and works a canvas. Um, yeah, I've just always enjoyed that. Now the other part, the secret part of all this is that I'm severely colorblind. You are and yeah. And so the other aspect of this is just understanding the medium. I find it easier to control what colors are interacting with each other with acrylics. I understand the medium better than I than oils. Um, I I was just never able to get good color, get purity of color with oils.
1: So how do you complement colors if you can't determine?
2: I say you look very nice today. Oh wait, no, that's not what you mean. That was terrible. <laughs> that was terrible stage <laughs> banter. Oh my god, that was like dad stage banter. Um, so, depending on what it is, I limit my palette generally. Um, in most situations, in a physical space, I just I just don't add certain colors, and that makes it really easy. And I know the math, and I know what color plus what color equals what color. Mm-hmm. Digitally speaking, and actually now with an app, physically speaking as well, I can I know my hex, I know my RGB spectrums. I can do the math. That's that's
1: the dirty secret. Hmm. I never never thought of art and math being in necessarily the same ballpark.
2: They're generally not. They're generally not. But uh, especially now that my phone, y- there can be color. There are colorblind apps on the phone, and you can grab a color. It, that's, that was really, really powerful for me, and especially on the illustration side. When I was, If I'm doing a CD design, or I mean, I, I do still do design work for other people. Um, if I'm doing a CD design for someone else, if there's a palette they're working in, or the palette of a photograph, nabbing a couple colors from that photograph is much easier to do in Photoshop or in Adobe Capture or something like that than it would have been even a couple of years ago. So there are technical solutions for for this thing. But if it's also, if you look back at the covers, generally speaking, I'll be working in blacks and whites, and maybe I'll pick another color, and then usually some sepias, and I don't work in a lot of other colors, precisely because it can go horribly awry, and I will never know. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: it appears that you have incorporated... Um, like the the cover of another life, another live, which we've been listening from, um, is a woman with a baby. Is that from mm-hmm. a photo or is that an illustration that you did?
2: It's an illustration. I work from photographs as uh, as sources, mm-hmm. and uh, so that was originally photographed. That's Rowan's wife holding our our friend and fans child Cora under a weeping willow tree in Catonsville, not too far from where I'm standing because I had it in my head as to what I wanted, but I really needed a model. Um, and she visually was what I wanted out of all that because we were contemplating another step in our evolution in another way of writing. we, Another Life, Another Life, conceptually was very much an album- a next generation of our writing, I guess, because Heather and I had both have both at that point landed in stable relationships. And I think that a lot of artists never seem to get past the stage where they're just writing about their love lore, and loss
3: mm-hmm.
2: or the, the the person they want to hook up with. And Illiamy at that point was definitely writing songs about could have been worlds that we had, the paths that we hadn't taken and and also delving deeper into politics and the world around us. And so it was another another life. It was our next generation, our uh, Christy, who is photographed in that, didn't have her kid yet, but Cora, or, uh, Ella was quickly on the way. Our, you know our band was having their next generation there was a lot of thinking that went into that and so i wanted to be painting someone who was you know bringing in the next generation of our literally the next generation of our band um so that's sort of the thinking that went on between No, we just want to know now, the title the painting the everything yeah
1: yeah now was the transition from the prior style of writing to the current was it difficult or to just kind of evolved.
2: It's, it's absolutely an evolution. Uh, there's very as much as I would love to say otherwise, there's very little huh, planning that goes into our artistic direction as a whole, I feel that is very much an evolution of what we're thinking, what we're feeling. But since we're a very tight family, again, at that time, five, and now for the last five years, jeez. um, Joey was playing with us back then, but he was, I don't think he appears on Another Life, Another Live yet. Um, But we're just a very, we're a very tight knit family. And so these evolutions come naturally. We are, we were writing a lot more outside of ourselves because we were, at least Sharif and Rowan were both having kids. Heather was in the process of getting married to a guy who has kids. So there was, there was a lot of thinking outside of ourselves at that point. And in the last two years, certainly, um, we have been evolving into having to examine the world around us a lot more aggressively. What I was saying earlier about the diversity and the issues of of people coming together from very disparate backgrounds that I think was instilled in me by coming up in PG County is something that we carried through as a, as a touring artist. We go through red States, we go through blue States. We try to make sure that we're coming from the middle enough that we can make friends on both sides of the aisle before dropping the curtain and being like, Oh, by the way, <laughs> we have gay fans, black fans, people from all over the spectrum, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Deal with it. We're all a family
1: so you're becoming God. musical navigators
2: we're becoming musical navigators but in the last two years specifically that integration becoming much much harder um, with black lives matter and and the real awareness of racial inequality in america is something that we can't turn away from because within the band we've got two black men a white woman a jew and a Baltimore city cop, and we're all one family together. Mm-hmm. And and examining those issues through the very, very weird, disparate, distinct lens that is all of us has led to a natural next evolution, I feel, from not just thinking of the world outside of ourselves, but the world around us and how we want to affect it. Um, so uh, that was a long way of saying, no, it's not planned, but it is an evolution of who we are and and how we swirl around one another and face not just the, the stuff that's facing me every day, but what is facing, you know, not, not what's facing me as an aging white guy, but what's facing Rowan as a black guy on, in the D.C. area or what's facing the women in the band and, and how do or facing Sharif. Yeah, he's a Baltimore City cop, but he's also an American Asian, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like so we're all a family. We can't not pay attention to the issues facing our family. Um,
1: so on the, the creative side from Robbie Hinkle, Robbie with a Y. <laughs> that was me. In a song that you're penning yourself without the help of, of Heather or anyone else, how do you come up? Do you, do you start with a guitar riff? Do you start with a thought of, gosh, I'd like to write a song about... How does how does your inspiration work?
2: Inspiration's is hard. Um, you work. <laughs> I write. I keep a. I keep what I think of as a lyrics morgue, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure if that's a term anybody else uses. Uh, it's a pretty a good one. Mor- yeah, it's it's um, it's definitely a holdover from illustration, where you just keep newspaper clippings and you keep pictures and you keep all these visual references in your, in your morgue, and you pull it out and you sift through it and you look for dead parts and you put them together in different ways. And, and, you know, when you need to draw a, a bird's wing, well, let me go find my bird's wing pictures different with Google image search, but that concept it always served me well with writing. I'm just always writing things down and keeping little snippets. Mm-hmm. And though I found that waiting for inspiration was a great way to just sit there and do nothing for a long time. Um, Something that, well, also hosting the open mics is always a good kick in the ass, frankly, you know, you're always being faced with amazing talent and you're always being faced with something different and something, something new. And every week there was someone who came across in some new way and you're like, Whoa, that's just inspiring. So, it's, inspira- it's it, there's inspiration swirling around in the community all the time, but sitting down and actually crystallizing it in something is, is always tricky. And so one of the things that I've done with the virtual open mics at least has been we've been doing a monthly song prompt, and that has been wonderful for kicking me into get a song done, mm-hmm. create a thing. Over the last year, I've written a lot of music, which I'm really, really pleased with. By, but 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 entirely created by the fact that I was worried that being locked down in my house in the basement was going to really cut off my ability to keep those creative juices swirling. So, you know, we generated a framework and and made this thing happen. Rowan's been really productive. I've been really productive with this. A number of friends have really produced some amazing work through this monthly song challenge. Song challenges are such interesting Things And I find that they are wonderful lenses, whether it's the monthly one that I'm doing or February album writing month or the challenges that what the Just the Sky uh, Song Contest puts out, things like that that are floating around are wonderful lenses that kick you into gear, into writing what you actually want to write, but forcing you to see it from another angle. Because you don't quite t- get to use the original tools that maybe you would have thought you wanted to because you've got this phrase you've got to incorporate or you've got this topic you've got to incorporate. But somehow that still becomes a song about your politics or a song about your relationships or your memories or something like that. Um,
1: well, it's int- I haven't done one of those for years, but um, David Moriali used to have a mm-hmm. potluck dinner. This I'm, I'm talking like 2002 or 2003. And... We would go to his house and we'd have spaghetti dinner, we'd all bring something, somebody bring the bread, dessert, whatever it was. And what amazed me was and I think there was a group, a core group of about six people, at the end of the month, those who brought songs in and it was all using, like you said, the phrase or the word or the subject, but the the songs were so completely different. And all yeah. and all good. All from-
2: what an amazing thing to take the same medium, the same thing, and see what people do with it. Uh, play, hell, just going to an open mic and seeing how different we all treat our guitars. Yeah, What a fascinating thing. Or you were talking about my voice being very really different. I'm not the only person with a different voice. Seeing how differently we, we create with these things that we are given or that we have hewn out of something or that we have fought so hard to have, but when it comes down to it, most of us are still working with a palette of six strings and a length of wood yep. and how amazingly different we, we get that or yeah, one phrase that we all had to incorporate or whatever else. W- what amazing creatures we are.
1: <laughs> well, you know, you, you, you mentioned the six strings and a piece of wood. And I know that you have like myself, um, have played wooden guitars for many years, but you have been playing your composite acoustics, um, uh, carbon graphite Mm -hmm. guitar for many years yeah and i i think you started with an x and then you went to the ox right or did Uh, you always have the ox i've
2: I've always had the ox okay uh i was very fortunate in that i stumbled across uh one of the builders at nam in 2010 i -hmm. think and he mentioned, oh, by the way, we're about to be bought by PV. I don't know what happens next. If you want one of these, give me some specs and I'll build one. And but it's gotta happen in the next month. And I've been very I've been so happily married to that guitar ever since.
1: Well, uh, and you told me that you had to do some emergency surgery on it at one point, didn't you?
2: <laughs> yeah, I've been happily married, but that doesn't mean you don't take the beast to the hospital every once in a while barring that first aid, emergency first aid on a bar top. Um, You know, the, the carbon fiber itself is very sturdy. The electronics can be less so, and I had, here's that thing where I enjoy solving technical problems and I enjoy process, but I'm not necessarily a planner sometimes very quickly i had decided i didn't like the lr bags element that was in it because it's a kind of a bassy guitar and the element is kind of a bassy pickup and so i pulled that out and put in the first iteration of the anthem Mm -hmm. and that's a microphone combination system with the element and dialing in the microphone system is very transparent but also very feedback resistant really love that pickup but when you are making it up as you go along and you install your own anthem where sometimes you knock it back out and when you knock things out sometimes there's damage to it or whatever and so somewhere in kansas i think it ceased working entirely during one run and i called my friend christian at lr bags and said hey i don't know what's wrong but i have about a week to fix it because i'm playing totally acoustic gigs between here and seattle washington um can you send me a new pickup? I don't care. Just get it to me. And he's like, well, no, I bet it's this part. It's this part. I'll overnight it to you. And so I swap out one part and that doesn't fix the problem. And I call him the next day and I'm like, dude, that was not it. Can you just send me the whole thing? It's like, no, I, it's got to be this thing. We've been having issues with this dial. Overnights me the dial. Does not solve the." And eventually I go through piecemealing, replacing every single part, get it back up and running by the time I've got to plug it in on stage in seattle washington and i feel like i mean i was literally reassembling the pickup in the green room before the show (laughs) but that aspect of getting to know your stuff really really intimately is something that has served me really really well over the years i mean that guitar has been disassembled reassembled most recently i had to pull it apart because oh some joint came apart in the pickup at Gypsy Sally's I was playing at Gypsy Sally's and so what a wonderful bartender Jean Baptiste holding the neck of my guitar with one hand mixing a drink with the other hand as I'm diving you know elbow deep into the interior of my guitar and replugging the <laughs> the quarter inch jack and stuff like that on the, on the bar in 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 Gypsy Sally's it's this is, this is a fun memory um,
1: so so you're a macgyver
2: i would like to think that there are many things that i've disassembled and totally failed to put back together but the vast majority of them i've managed to get working again yeah
1: (laughs) and you have a unique set of finger picks
2: Mm -hmm. i was playing with fred kelly or i'm sorry i was i was playing with uh my fingernails for a long time and someone compared me to Annie DeFranco, and I was like, well, who's that? Oh, oh, cool, she's coming through Baltimore soon, let me go check that out. So I go watch Annie DeFranco and think, huh, you know what, we do sort of play similar. And I wonder how she's solving the problem of freaking pulling your fingernails off backwards. So I'm talking, I don't get to talk to her, I think I get to talk to her bass player's language chat. And then chatting about the specifics of, oh, she uses Lee Press on nails and electrical tape. Okay, cool. Well, I'll, I'll try that. I don't want to be just like Lee, just like De DeFranco, so I try a bunch of different things. I rhythm a uh, na- uh, nailing acusculpt man, uh, just so you know, in case you want to know. And the acusculpts really wonderful, thick, fake fingernails. They work great. But the big gas prices, uh, gas price crisis, crisis, yeah, gas crisis of 2007 or so, when all of our gas prices like tripled in price, the unsung tragedy of that was not just that Ilyany had to put gas on their credit card for the first time in five years, um, not just did we finally have a tour that was not as, that was not lucrative because we had that time decided to go out with Rowan and we were driving in a big truck and all of a sudden our major expense, which is gas jacked up. To like four dollars a gallon, good lord, from a dollar, whatever it was. But all the fake nailing, uh, all the fake nail companies started using softer plastics. And me and Annie DeFranco and probably two other people cared. And for a while, I was going around to CVSs and Walgreens and saying, "Oh my god, do you have any nailian sculpts from before August?" Uh, but that dried up really quick. And fortunately, someone in Connecticut turned me on to Fred Kelly Freedom Picks. He was like, hey, I saw the way you play. I don't like these very much, but maybe you like them. Hands me these finger picks. And they are amazing. They they fit my finger really, really well. They do a great job of being sort of a nail replacement. And I don't know what I'm going to do if they ever stop making them. But Fred Kelly Freedom Picks, the Delrin ones, not the, not the clear plasticky ones, because the clear plasticy ones have sort of a colder sound, and the nylon an acu- or I'm sorry, the uh, the d- Delrin ones have a slightly warmer sound and have a d- different grit on the string. I'll get nerdy with you if you want to get nerdy about this stuff. I just, just love it.
1: Now, do you use the electrical tape with those? Like yeah, you
2: yeah. Otherwise, that- I just fling them off into people's coffee, yeah. and it's horrible for everyone.
1: Now, how? Well, let's see. Do I want to say how bad? How bad is that for the skin of your fingertips, wrapping it <laughs> with electrical tape?
2: It hasn't affected me too too badly <laughs> yet. <laughs> I, I go firmly with the. I mean, as my guitar, as my car, as my physical body, nothing's dropped off. Um,
1: because so, you're you're putting that stuff on when you were touring regularly, pretty mm-hmm. much every night.
2: Mm -hmm. and then taking it off. I mean, I do it to practice and I do it to play. But it's, um, I think one of the things that is nice about electrical tape is it's meant to be non-reactive. Yeah. And so it's got an elasticity to it that reflects how my skin responds. So the way my nail bed and my fingernails respond to pressure is very similar to the way the electrical tape and the Fred Kelly finger picks respond. There isn't a residue like you might be thinking with a lot of other adhesives and things like that. Um, and actually, I have never even really thought about, the pro- thought about this. Um, but the fact that I'll sweat them off rather than, like physically, if I sweat, I'm not absorbing anything. They don't become greater, more adhered, like some tapes do. They become less adhered and slip off. My optimistic assumption is that they're pretty harmless. Yeah,
1: Well, it's a great thank visual.
2: You for, thank you for giving me something to think about now.
1: Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just one more thing in the visual realization of Rob Hinkle on stage and Ilyemi as a group. Not only do you personally and as a duo and as the, the six sound unique you all look unique in a certain way one because of the diver- diversity but two watching you play your your hair is still long i'm assuming i haven't seen you in person for a long time but the um and the way you all dress and everything it is a because i'm a firm believer that performers when i say they need to be entertainers it's one it's what you say in between songs it's how you present the songs do you look at the audience you allow them as much interaction as is possible in a live performance, but it's also the visual effect you have on an audience. And the one thing that has always amazed me is how much your visual presence is to your music. It just fits.
2: Huh. Thank you.
1: I don't know if you plan it that way or it's just that's the way, but it really does work.
2: You know, I don't know. I just want to make it clear that, Todd Walker middle initial C uh, has not been paid to say any of these particular things. You are you are saying a lot of the things that are my, my back-end affirmations or my my back of the mind. It's it's better that we do it this way. It's more unique this way, or whatever. Because, man, I look at the bands that, you know, they have a look, yeah. and you know they're a band, and you are doing your 3 a.m. stopover at a truck stop on I-80 in Iowa, and you look across the, the truck stop, and you're like, those three guys, they're in a band. You can tell. <laughs> you, you, I think Heather says it a lot. You know, looking at us, you'd never know. <laughs> and but I also sort of feel like I don't I don't want to dress up I don't want to do that I want to feel comfortable This is what I'm here for I'm here to do this Yeah. And so thank you, <laughs> but it's something that worries me. <laughs> I'm sure that if 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 we were ever presented with a with a with a uh, management or representative deal uh, that was appealing enough for me to think twice about. Uh, there would quickly, there would quickly be some some edict about the way we dress, though. <laughs> well,
1: well, there might be, but that person would not be on the right track. And you, you I'd like folks, I think so. I yeah, like to think so. And you folks are definitely. And I've been, I've had an enjoyable hour and thirteen minutes chatting with you. The, I hope everyone, and I know everyone listening will, and just so that you know, Rob, not only do people from the greater Frederick, Baltimore, D.C. area listen to this show, but I checked today and there's three people from, in the past 10 days from Russia, one from Ukraine, one from Taiwan, and one from Germany. So how they find us, I have no clue, but you, you're going to be globally interviewed,
2: I do my best, all right. We were discovered by uh, a UK talk show host a couple of months ago.
1: Oh, that's cool!
3: And
2: uh, so, thank you so much to our fans out in the UK and um, my UKlings, as I like to call talk to them. And it'll be so nice that this actually does not air live, right?
1: No,
3: it'll um, actually. And they can,
1: yeah,
2: they can view this in their own freaking time zone, as opposed to the race that they do right now, which is. I got to get up at midnight and stay up till four in the morning to watch my Illy Amy show, which is very flattering, but I, <laughs> I, I can't imagine that continuing. <laughs> so.
1: Well, thanks again, Rob. And I hope you have a, a terrific rest of your day. And I look forward to seeing and hearing you play live again. Thank you, Todd. All right. Good to chat with you, my friend. For a while. Bye-bye. That was Rob Hinkle from the group Illy Amy. And, What a fun guy to chat with. And we're going to end the show with a song from Another Life, Another Live. It's called A Perfect Day.
0: I had intelligence once I had the will But all the lines a hard life finds Will slowly redefine our tale And the dream hurt deep inside of me was eventually a casualty And I think the things that I couldn't think And I fight the fight I couldn't win Inside my head On Rather the Star this year But it wasn't where I had dreamed of being As the paper fell away The glitter fell away and The kids weren't there But I just don't care She wanted plastic I've talked so hard for wood this year They can open them alone I paid for all this stuff Ain't that enough And I can I'm not old so hard and heavy, my muscle aches for 40 years of knowing the passion is all it takes much too old to leave a pretty corpse i'm too young to just forget i surprised you all with the poison in my head Perfect weathered day, perfect winter's day, as I climbed into the sky, I scribbled all the words that I couldn't say, like you'll be sorry when I'm dead, oh so sorry when I'm dead, at just this once I'm gonna seize the day. First one to the scene They took everything they could get from me The doctors that came next They feared the worst, that I was uninsured the Ink from the note had run With the blood and snow and slush It was a Christmas miracle, they said That if I wait that I should live
1: We have been listening to The Song "A Perfect Day from the CD, a two-disc set titled Another Life, Another Live by Illy Amy. And what a great interview with Rob Hinkle. I thank him so much for spending the hour and a quarter with me. And for those of you folks who've been listening, thank you for tuning in. And I want everybody to know that the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by me, Todd, middle initials, Heath Walker, at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All the music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series and you'd like to tell other people about it, please do so. Share the link with them, wispymopmusic.podbean.com, or they can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And from a personal performer note, I do want to mention that I, when I perform, I use K&K Pickups, wonderful company. If you're curious about great amplified sound, go to kksound.com. And from a guitar case standpoint, crossrockcase.com. Crossrock Cases are, they make a full line of cases, but my favorite is the fiberglass ones. dot crossrockcase.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.